Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. We took a little bit of a break, um, and we actually were busy behind the scenes getting fantastic people on, like Caroline Reedy here from the HR Suite. Um, she do- did do a fantastic TED Talk. I was just discussing it there before we came on. So if anyone hasn't listened to the TED Talk, I'll have the link below here. Have a listen. It's a really, really interesting one around asking questions. Um, and there's, there's some lovely sentiment behind it. And I think everyone, no matter what place you are in life, can uh, really, really do it listening to it. Um, Thanks, following your dreams, which I love listening to because I'm a big believer in that. And the vision boards and all of that. I'm really, really into that. Um, and intentions. Caroline, tell us a little bit about you. I know you're an adjudicator at the WRC. You're on a couple of boards of the commission. Who is Caroline Reedy? Um, I suppose... I always say, first and foremost, I'm a Kerry woman because that's the most important kind of starting point, yeah. really, for me. I'm very proud of that. Um, I suppose I've always worked in the area of HR, Louise. So it's been, you know, always my career. Um, I absolutely love what I do and I feel very lucky to be able to do it. I've worked in um, multinational. I've worked in uh, Irish companies before I set up my own business uh, 12 years ago. Now, time flies when you're having fun. And I run the HR suite with an amazing team of people. And then I suppose I am involved in a few other things. Then like I mentor female entrepreneurs on the program of ACORNS. Um, I'm a member of the DCCI, the Design Council of Ireland board. Uh, I'm an adjudicator with the WRC. And I suppose for me, all those things come back to the fact that most of business and most of um, the whole journey of people is very much the concept of what you give, you get back. And I suppose I really enjoy people and supporting people as much as I can. And I definitely feel I get that support back in droves. Amazing, Caroline. Love listening to that. And it's, it's, I suppose that collaboration approach is, is something that I'm hearing when you're a part of all these groups and um, you see it as important and supporting other people. And the Acorns program, I'm aware of it. It's, it's a fantastic program that supports other people. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that because with the, um, with the bill coming in at the moment, um, I was seeing a lot of messages come in with, with that referendum that's happening. So I think it's really important to support women, um, which I'm a big advocate of. Um, so it's lovely listening to that. Um, I suppose, Caroline, you see things from two sides of, of the fence, which I'm really interested in listening to. So obviously the HR suite support, um, training and set up kind of that HR function within within businesses. And then obviously you're on the other side of the fence where you're where you're adjudicated for the WRC. Um, so it's kind of two hats almost that you wear a little bit. And obviously you have a master's in HR and you're a mediator, which I really find interesting because I think mediation is just a core part of that. I think it's it's really important. Um, when you look at, I suppose, from looking at it from two angles, um, Caroline, what trends are you seeing happening over the last, after we've come out of COVID? What is it you're seeing a lot of within the SME sector space? So um, what is it you're kind of seeing from maybe the WRC side? Um, and then maybe that's a gap, maybe, that the likes of the function in the HR suite is actually coming now to maybe preempt. Because obviously you can see things when you're when you're in that function, um, maybe coming up topically a little bit um, sooner than maybe other people that are doing similar to what you are doing? Yeah, I suppose, to be honest, Louise, I think um, the work of the WRC is it's, you know, you're hearing cases, etc. But I think we get a better temperature gauge, you know, in relation to listening to clients to kind of get a sense from them. What is their business strategy for the next 12, 
months, the next 18 months, the next uh, 24 months. You know, a lot of businesses now are planning 12, 18, 24 because crystal ball gazing to five year plans are more challenging with the amount of change and agility that's required in the market. So for me, I suppose, listening to clients a few key things. One is the cost of doing business is a real challenge for them. And, you know, they're really reassessing the cost of doing business and how can they maximize the value add to the business? Because, you know, we've seen like increased costs happening, uh, margin being eroded, etc. So I think that's one big area. And then another big area is um, maximizing the potential of all your workplace and your workforce. So you know, making sure that you've got a workplace, firstly, that's agile, suitable for collaboration, making decisions in relation to hybrid, remote, etc. in businesses that that's possible. Also looking at automation, looking at AI, again, making that as functional as possible. And then probably the other kind of third key theme that's coming up a lot is upskilling training managers to have more skills to be robust enough to be able to handle the the current work environment, which, you know, is very um, challenging for any manager because a lot of people, managers were brilliant at the day job and then they've got promoted into roles that does make the, the job very diverse. And I suppose having key skills to be able to, you know, handle that is very important. So they'd probably be the three themes we'd see our clients focusing on right now, Louise. Yeah, that's really interesting because um, I suppose what I've seen a lot of, um, Caroline, and I suppose I'm just looking at from the retail sector, um, is that a lot of those um, long-term, long-serving managers within the retail sector, when COVID hit, they didn't actually go back into those roles. So there was a huge turnover, you could say, of kind of, of you know, store managers, area managers, I suppose, that would be maybe the go-between. They're really that middle manager between the staff and, and the head office function, you could say. Um, and what I started to see, Caroline, was that, um, you know, we were promoting the sector was promoting a lot of people into these roles, but they really didn't have the people management or the skill set. Um, and then what we've seen was they're um, promoting people internally that maybe didn't know how to deal with conflict in the workplace or have difficult conversations with staff. And maybe then it was ignored and then it snowballed into this big issue. And now they have to go external and they have to bring someone in, a HR consultancy firm, um, to, to obviously to kind of mediate or to, to deal with that um, performance management issue in the business. So I suppose what, from your perspective, um, what do you feel is needed from these companies to preempt this happening? Because it can be very reactive at times, Caroline, I see in the SME space. It's, it's firefighting um, and they don't want to spend the budgets on um, some of these trainings. But if we look at it from a long term sustainability piece, um, if we're not putting those um, those best practices in place, we're actually feeling the burden of that um, mm-hmm. because we're trying to manage it then with, with input and more hours long term into it yeah i think you're spot on louise i think for a lot of businesses they've they're suffering the last two years in kind of a space that they're feeling that they're on the treadmill and they're not getting anywhere so i think we've really noticed in january of this year particularly that a lot of people had planned okay well 2024 is going to be different so i notice We've seen a lot of restructuring. We've seen a lot of investment in training. You know, we see a lot of 
maybe again looking at that strategic piece of what are the key things we need to do to really add value to the business. So I definitely think businesses are getting more strategic, you know, in terms of looking at, okay, what is it that I need to improve? What is it that I need to enhance? And that I think is a really wise move because there's such an agile environment out there now, like things are changing so rapidly Mm -hmm. that if we're not, you know, managing and changing our viewpoint to making sure we're flexible and we're agile and ready, it's going to be something that gives that company, I suppose, roadblocks in terms of another company who will have that competitive advantage because they're looking at it in that way. Yeah. And I suppose, Caroline, I was listening to, um, I was, I was reading a study and it was really interesting. Um, it was a lot of, I suppose, HR directors in the UK and it was the study was done through the CIPD Association. And what was really interesting was, um, they had done a study in, I suppose, the evolution of HR within the business space within a company. And they looked back and I suppose, You've been in HR for a while, Caroline, so it'd be nice to get your perspective on it. But HR years ago, even if I go back to 2006, 2005, um, where I used to work in Marks and Spencers, and HR was nearly a separate function to the business. You know, it was really, you know, your HR was over here, your business strategy was here, your buying department was here, your marketing department was here, and they were all working in silos. Okay, and and it was really interesting. I suppose now we're looking to bring the HR function inside and sit in on those strategy meetings because the strategy is the people. So yeah, so right. The move is where we bring that HR function into the business strategy with the CEO, with the manager, the senior exec team. Um, And I suppose, yeah, I just thought it was really, really interesting take on it because I had seen it back then. And you've obviously seen it as well, that evolution in Mm -hmm. the HR function within businesses. And I'm going to throw a stat out for you. There was a study I read that said by 20, I think it's 2035, that um, 80% of CEOs will have some form of HR qualification. Interesting. And interesting from the point of view, like HR and people management skills are very complementary. So like you mentioned, obviously, I do mediation. You know, we obviously are always involved in coaching and mentoring, etc. So arguably, a lot of those skills are transferable. And a lot of the time, the ceiling on people's, um, you know, opportunity for progression is their ability to bring people with them on the journey. They may be brilliant people and really capable, et cetera, but they just don't have that ability to bring and lead people on the journey to um, that the company has identified as its strategy. So without doubt, I could see why that would be. I think it's always interesting, though, when somebody says by 2035, I mean, I just think that you can hardly you can hardly plan. You definitely can plan a year. You can plan two years. But I think when you hear something in 11 years time, this will be the case. I always say, you know, look, I I take it with a grain of salt in ways because of the fact that it's only simply like we're in an environment now that I really feel yeah. planning that far in advance you're kind of going do you know that's kind of crystal ball gazing beyond but I do think there's definitely merit to it Louise I think 
those skills that are transferable, there's no question about it. More and more managers, more and more leaders need to be empathetic, need to be people driven, need to bring people on that journey because ultimately no business can manage without it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I just, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. I love to put a time frame on that because hopefully, Caroline, we can look back in this many years' time and go, geez, we, we were talking about that yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Look how far or yeah. not so far we've come. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, completely. Yeah, completely, we can, we can completely. eat your words on that. Um, something that's come up a lot, and, and I kind of, um, if you, Vanny, I suppose, share your tips or strategies that you might use with, with, maybe middle management there there seems to be a real um a real kind of a gap when it comes to training managers frontline managers now predominantly around conflict in the workplace and I don't see a lot of people talking about it I know it's an unsexy thing and we'd love to avoid it but I feel we need to have more conversations about that um, when we're talking about training because I think it's it's something that it's there. It's an elephant in the room. We don't talk about how we're going to address it or we don't do enough role plays, I find, within the retail sector around it. And then what ends up happening is, I suppose, Caroline, it's it's personality driven. Mm-hmm. That's with a lot of those kind of things. So um, do you have any maybe examples you can share or a case study you can share where um, maybe conflict like that wasn't happening in, in a certain place? Um and what maybe processes or tools that you would put in place to maybe alleviate that or to support those managers that are maybe listening in to this? Yeah, today? I suppose one of the things for me is I always think that setting your values as a company and making them clear is a really important starting point. And like I always say to people, look, no one's had got an expectation that everybody's going to be friends, but there is a huge expectation of professionalism, um, honesty, positivity, you know, all those values that we would like to receive. And therefore, we need to also be ambassadors for. So I think that's your first starting point, that the culture within the organization sets a tone of what are acceptable values and what are acceptable uh, norms so that if a behaviour occurs that's not in keeping with those, nearly the culture police goes, hang on a second, you know, that's not how we do things around here. Because ultimately, I think that in itself quenches a lot of fires. They start as little sparks and they're, you know, they're quenched straight away and that's the end of it. And I suppose the other thing for me is that we do as much training as we can around helping people understand that, look, if an issue occurs, you need to make sure that you um, address it with a colleague and nip it in the bud. So you're nearly giving permission and you're encouraging people to proactively do that. And that applies with managers, supervisors, colleagues, etc. as well, because I think the worst thing you can do is think there's an issue and do nothing about it. And I think sometimes we're very bad at asking for what we need. So like, you know, asking, listen, can I have five minutes? I feel that the way your tone was, you know, I felt it was disrespectful. I need to have a word about it. And a lot of the time, if you do it in an asking way, you know, you're going to do it a lot more positively, which along the lines of, look, Caroline, I know you didn't mean probably to say it in that tone, just so you know, the tone I felt was X. So in other words, you're not accusing somebody of, you know, you said that to cause me upset because most people, their intent is good, 
Yeah. Like I find that 99% of people, their intent is good. They want to come into work, do a good job and that's it. And like they really do not want to cause grief. But unfortunately, people are on the roller coaster of life. Yeah. And that roller coaster means that they could be having a bad day outside of work. They could be in a challenging environment. And ultimately, all of those things, I suppose, mean that, you know, it it can put pressure on working relationships and work could be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but actually work is not the thing that causes it. So I think we just have to have that empathy with colleagues and call it out if we need to call it out, but do so in a way that's going to quench the fire rather than, you know, add oil and, you know, make things worse. Yeah. Do you think, I suppose, those skills can be taught? Do you think that someone can learn them, Caroline? Someone that's maybe very introverted or quiet um, that might that maybe really doesn't like conflict to get nervous. Have you seen that, that that supports you? Yeah, I definitely do. Because for me, this is more about having a culture that people have psychological safety, mm-hmm. that they know that if they say something, it's going to be received in a respectful way. And I suppose that psychological safety and that culture that we spoke about um, is for me what me, you know, we echo the values, we echo the behaviours so that people know, well, look, the way or the comment that was said to me or was, you know, spoken to me in that way, that's not in keeping with the way the culture is supposed to be around here. So therefore, I'm going to have a quiet word. And then I suppose if the quiet word doesn't work, there's also other avenues, somebody can go talk to their manager, they can go talk to HR if HR exists in the organisation. But I always believe that if in the first instance it's caught early and the two people have the conversation, mm-hmm. it does make a big difference. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's um if you can deal with it at that level one to one, I think there's a level of respect there. Um, Absolutely. For one another. I think that's um without getting someone else involved, I think there's a level of respect um that's appreciated by the other person. And I think it's sometimes it's make giving the person the chance and the opportunity to improve. And um, by not saying it, we're not actually making them aware there's even a problem in the relationship. Um Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I watched your TED talk and I found it fantastic because obviously I use coaching in my training. Um, and you touched on it there and asking great questions, Caroline. And, um, on, on the TED talk, you quoted WB8, um, tread softly because you tread on my dreams. What does that mean to you? What does tread on my dreams mean to you? Or what does that, fe- what, what does that, um, show up? Yeah. As? Yeah. I suppose I feel I'm doing this job a really long time and I've always approached it with the value of, you know, we're dealing with people and we're dealing with their emotions, their dreams, their hopes, their aspirations. And in any element of HR, whether that be somebody who's on probation, somebody who's applying for a job, somebody who's looking to do a promotion, somebody who's in a performance review, they have dreams and aspirations for whatever they want And that mightn't match the organization sometimes. And it's just having that empathetic approach all of the time to try and be kind. Um, And I suppose, you know, I always believe that if you you still have to do your job. I mean, I end up in my role. I'm doing investigations. I'm doing disciplinaries. You know, I people can, you know, gross misconduct, etc. But I will always do it kindly and I will always do it with respect in the view that, you know, look, things happen, hopefully people will learn from it and they'll move on. 
But I always feel if you do it with empathy and be authentic, you have to say it the way it is. But you're doing it with empathy and you're being kind. I think the receiver finds it so much more acceptable and it lands better. Um, and, you know, I just think it's a skill that in the busyness of the world we're in at the moment, people are rushing and they're all under pressure. And a lot of the problems that are caused, whether that be conflict or, you know, personality clashes, et cetera, are we're just not being kind. We're not being empathetic. We're not seeing it from the other per person's perspective. So I think that's definitely something to kind of help us reassess. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a really, really interesting one. And I think. Um, I think it's difficult having that role at times, Caroline, going in and sitting with someone and, and sitting in that place that maybe they're not in that good place. Mm -hmm. And I think giving them, I always used to say, giving someone hope is a gift. Giving someone, believing in someone is a gift that we all mm -hmm. give. And we don't need to have millions of euro in the bank to give someone or to believe in someone that, that you know what, this might have happened, but I believe in you that you're going to be great again and you can bounce yeah. back again. You know what I mean? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I love it, Louise. Yeah, no, I love it. I think that's really, really a lovely approach to have. And I think, you know, why wouldn't we go down that road when it's as easy to be kind and nice and give them that, you know, support than it is to to not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose any fool can ask questions, but a genius asks the right questions. So I wrote that down. It was a quote, Albert Einstein, and you said it on your TED Talk. And I wanted to tease it out a little bit. What did you mean by that? I suppose I yeah. would, whether I'm doing mediation, whether yeah. I'm doing interviews, you know, whatever element of, of my job I'm doing, or even when I'm doing self-reflection for myself, I really put time and thought into what are the best questions to ask in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And I think if you prepare, it's the old adage of fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I think that if you put a bit of time into thinking, what's the best questions to ask in this scenario to get the most out of this opportunity, you're setting yourself up for success rather than just asking random and then there'll be a follow on question that you can probe and you don't need to have that necessarily scripted or prepared. But I do think preparation in different opportunities gives you the best potential outcome as a result of preparation. So I definitely do like to be prepared. I'm I try and be early for most things that, you know, I like to just be organized. I like to be prepared. And I think that preparation makes somebody feel god that just you know was no bother to her um you know or you know those questions just came from nowhere but it's the preparation behind the scenes and i think you know we do ourselves the best service by doing that especially in in scenarios we're not very familiar with yeah yeah what has been obviously you're in the hr game a really long time and when we're in, I suppose, different roles, we wear different hats from employee to being self-employed to, you know, being on different boards and stuff like that. Um, is there anything that stands out to you as a learning that you really came to a point in your life where you said, God, I've, I've changed the way you've done things or your perspective on things? Jonathan, as a business owner, I suppose, for people listening to this, Caroline, has there been any standout moment that you feel in your journey, your growth journey, stands out the most? I think there's been a lot, if I'm being honest, Louise, yeah. there's been a lot. Um, but for me, probably one of the most standout moments was 
when I was at a talk and it was about business growth and female entrepreneurship. And Paula Fitzsimons was doing the talk and she said, if you want to grow your business and you want to be able to take holidays, you want to, um, you know, be able to, um, you know, do different things. The customer isn't going to wait for you when you say, well, I'm not going to be around for those two weeks or those three weeks or whatever the case may be. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me to say, "Okay, I need to build a business rather than have a business about Caroline. And that was a big change in mindset around needing to grow a business rather than Caroline getting work and Caroline being busy doing the work. Because I suppose to me, that was probably because I did want to go on holidays, Louise. I did want to do all those nice things. And I just felt, okay, that's going to, that's a need. And ultimately, I suppose I love HR. I love entrepreneurship, et cetera. But then you have to change your focus to kind of go, okay, what are the skills and what is the development I need? And what's the focus of my time to continue to grow this business? Because unfortunately, in any business, it's relentless. You know, you can't sit in your laurels at any stage. You're constantly trying to improve the offering. You're trying to develop the team. You're trying to make sure the customers are happy, etc. It's a constant, um, you know, challenge. And that level of, I suppose, you know, minding yourself so that you can mind the business mm-hmm. and mind your team, mind your customers, etc. All flows from that. Um, I think they're probably the two big ones and they're very much interrelated, Louise. Yeah, that's a really interesting point there. Um, and I just want to highlight that, you know, it, it was because it's funny because obviously my name is my brand. So I'm listening to you say this and I understand. I totally get it. Um, because when I leave, Louise, who is the face. So I totally get that and I resonate with that. And I think a lot of people that do maybe retail consulting or in a consultant role, they're probably in that similar bracket as well, Caroline. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I was myself, Louise. I mean, for me, you know, people wanted Caroline Reedy because I was selling Caroline Reedy and knowledge Mm. and skills, etc. And I suppose, you know, I do think that that was... Again, it's a choice. It was a decision that I made at that crossroads. Um, But it's not for everybody. I mean, for a lot of people, they're really happy, you know, having one person and doing one person work and it it coming in, etc. So I suppose for me, that was the learning for me on my journey. Um, but that doesn't, you know, it's not universal for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is a different business model, 100 percent. And it's it's where it, exactly it's what journey they want to go on and where they want to be at and um, what their goals are and their dreams are. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Caroline, I could literally pick your brain about loads of other stuff, but I'm trying not. I'm trying to hold back. <laughs> uh, well, Louise, You're I must say, from when I met you at the very start, I always say I'm, I'm a big believer in supporting other entrepreneurs and particularly supporting women entrepreneurs when I can. So it's an absolute pleasure to be chatting to you today. And it's an absolute pleasure uh, to see all the good stuff you're doing. So, um, yeah, no, delighted to help. Thank you so much, Caroline. Where can people reach you if anyone is listening in? Where? Yeah, the HRSuite.com has lots of information. LinkedIn, Caroline Reedy or the HR Suite as well. And you mentioned the uh, TED Talk that's on my LinkedIn tagged at the top of it as well, if anybody would like to listen. And um, thanks for the time, Louise. And hopefully your listeners found it. Some nuggets of helpfulness in uh, our chat today. 
Thank you. And we'll have a little recap underneath. Thank you so much, Caroline Reedy. Have a fantastic day. Thank you.